welcome to our second part of our 10th Doctor retrospective, uh, where I'm joined in the camper van by James. Hello, Leeson. Hello, everybody. And Trevor. Hello, Leeson. Hello, everybody. So here we are, Series 3, and uh, it's uh, the first time we see a companion change in the new series. So we've had a new Doctor, and we've got used to him. How will we fare with a new companion? It's interesting, actually, because uh, at, at the end of the previous episode, Tom left us with some uh, very interesting comments on the uh, second series of the David Tennant Doctor. Does anyone have some thoughts on, uh, you know, the beginning of the Martha Jones era? Yes, I do. <laughs> <laughs> Let's hear them, James. <laughs> oh, she, she certainly has been my least favourite of the New Who companions. And uh, I, I, for a lot of the reasons that Tom talked about last episode, she had so much promise. And I, I think there are a couple of fantastic lines Russell T. Davis gave her in Smith and Jones and as soon as that episode had finished and we've moved on then she became you know pretty much a bog standard companion um which which I felt was was very disappointing um it, it wasn't just that she was a bog standard companion it was almost that she was speaking Rosie's lines for her uh, particularly in the Shakespeare code and I, I just didn't get the feel that she was a, a serious medical student because that's pretty much how she'd been um built up in Smith and Jones but yeah not not really a, a companion for me and she didn't really do anything for me until we got to human nature and family of blood and mm. and that was just because the story was so yeah, unbelievably yeah. immense I totally agree James um Martha seemed to be like a rose light type of uh, character that they were I think trying to make a little bit of a difference certainly in the Shakespeare code that Martha you know wasn't interested in the doctor oh no 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 I'm I'm not interested in that type of thing but then every other bit of evidence to the contrary showed that she you know would love to have a relationship with the 10th doctor and that's something I think was a detriment to the series that a new companion gives us a, a series a chance to take a new direction to have a different dynamic and that's something I never really think they did with the uh, you know, the character of Martha. And, and and I was never a fan of Freema Adjaman anyway. I, I honestly don't think she's a good actor. Mm. I think she's a terrible actor. And everything I've seen her in since, I've saw her in Survivors recently, doesn't change my opinion one single percentile. I don't think she had the acting chops to uh, pull off even playing a companion in Doctor Who. Mm, I, I think that the, the central hook around, uh, you know, the, the new companion was that this was going to be in order to try and make it completely different to Rose, uh, this would be unrequited love. And you know, it, it probably seemed like a nice idea uh, and, a, and, a, and a, also almost an antidote to, uh, to, to the Rose storyline. But I never really felt that it was uh, either explored enough to make it interesting or that it was actually a good enough idea in the first place. Probably explains why she was only in it for a season. I think I agree with Trev that she, she didn't really have the, the power and presence to, to be a, a successful uh, a successful companion. I think they certainly put her in situations where you didn't believe that she could, I suppose, perform in those situations. Jumping ahead slightly um, to Series 4, they put the character of Martha in a situation in Sontaran's Stratagem, where she was basically directing all unit forces. And I never believed for a second she could possibly do something like that. Um I, I never really invested in the character of Martha. I, I never believed that she was who she said she was. She, she just never came across as a, I don't know, I suppose fully formed performance slash actor because mm. I, I, I was never a fan of Freema's 
um, acting style. Yeah, and it's almost as though the Tenth Doctor felt the same way because he's quite dismissive of Martha. He's incredibly insensitive to her. And certainly he might still be recovering from the fallout of losing Rose. But, uh, I mean, Tom alluded once again last episode that, um, you know, the Doctor's incredibly insensitive and he's so wrapped up in his own little world with his own feelings. He thinks nothing of of lying to Martha about the fate of Gadifrey. You know, she's, she's a rebound companion. She's someone there you know, for the Doctor to talk to, but he doesn't seem to have any investment in her at all, you know? And I mm, I, I, mm. I, I, do agree with a lot of what you both have said. I don't think Freema Adjaman is a fantastic actress, and uh, I, I, I too have seen her in Survivors and Lauren Alder as well, and I'm, I'm surprised that, you know, she, she was offered this role. Um, I think it was on, on, on off the back of a very brief performance as a different character, in Doomsday or Army of Ghosts, that's correct, isn't mm, it? Mm. She was a tortured employee yeah. of some kind. And I, I think Russell T. Davies knew that the character or the casting didn't quite work because one thing RTD does is that if, if, if he feels he's made a mistake or he feels that something hasn't quite worked, he won't just let it drop. He'll bring that character back. He'll roll it over. He'll make sure it's kicked to death um, before, you know, that character or monster is gone. You look at the Slovene, technically speaking, you know, they never reappeared in Doctor Who, which was a good thing, but they, they found their natural home, if you like, in the Sarah Jane adventures. But that was Russell T. Davis not wanting to let one of his creations go. Um, the same kind of thing with the humour we were talking about last episode. You know, he enjoys that silly slapstick, slapstick humour, and despite the fact he gets criticised or even asked about it um, as he was in an interview with Doctor Who magazine he says no it was funny everybody else who thinks it wasn't funny is wrong you know so he continues to use it Mm. he did it with Rose he brought back Captain Jack to the point whereby he could have been just about anybody in the season three finale and he, he, he just yeah, he he won't let things go he um he seems to push it to the point where it's just not believable or palatable and I think Martha Jones is the most obvious failure of the Russell T Davis era for me. I think it's interesting you use the word like um, or, or phrase like rebound companion and even failure because I think we do spend a lot of series three with the David Tennant doctor recovering from the loss of Rose that um, you know we've, we've, we've lost Rose at the end of um, Doomsday where she went to the parallel universe and we have Martha as a character thinking that she can fill that void, thinking she can become the next Rose, but I think failing miserably. And we see certainly points throughout that entire um, series three, episodes like 42 and her um, extended performance in Human Nature, Family of Blood, where you can kind of think that Rose would have done a better job. Rose would have (laughs) succeeded. Yeah. In the Doctor's eyes, better than better than Martha ever would have. I think Martha was incredibly out of her depth in Human Nature and Family of Blood because if you consider, she's been falling around for what five or six episodes after the Doctor. He hasn't got a clue that Martha has these feelings for him, and then he trusts her with his life and that pocket watch. She's incredibly out of her depth, and I think. That is the one performance that Freema does bring off reasonably well. But I, I am completely with you um, in, in terms of, you know, had Rose been there, I would have bought that story so much more. Um, the original novel, 
written by Paul Cornell, had Benice Summerfield, I think, as the companion uh, in Human Nature. And, you know, that worked fantastically as well. All of a sudden, because you've got a new companion, because you've got this weird dynamic between a Doctor and a companion, everybody's out of their depth. How on earth can they get out of this? And it's only through Martha becoming strong, finding her feet towards the um, middle of the second part of the story that you think, yeah, this is this is going to work and the story is going to work despite Martha's dullness, <laughs> if you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah, I, I think even despite that, the, the, it it's the jewel in in this series crown it really it's the it's the one that really shines um because it does something completely different it's it's a it's it's a truly wonderful story uh, and it takes uh, doctor who into a, a whole a whole different in a way because it was lifted from a book you you see more in in the uh, in the, the printed fiction exploring ideas like this uh, than you do on on screen a uh, very brave step and and probably the most yeah i say the highlight the, the biggest success of this series yeah I mean, I, I mean for me this is a doctor light episode i mean if i might use a cliche it's a doctor light episode done perfectly even though david tennant's in it for 90% of the time um it it's the way we should be experiencing episodes without the Doctor in them. Well, it, it's strange because this was followed directly by Blink, which really was the Doctor Light episode of this season. Yeah. And, of course, yeah. given to Stephen Moffat as well. Um, quite why, we don't know. Um, but, my goodness, does he knock it out of the park with Blink? It's um, For me, that's mm. the best episode of this season. By far, possibly, possibly challenged only by Utopia. Oh, I don't know about Utopia. Um, I think... Good Lord. Yeah, I, I think... Um, Utopia, the high point is obviously Derek Jacobi as, as the master. Please, please, please don't regenerate into John Sim. Please don't. Oh, he's done it. Oh. Ah. <laughs> uh, I just wish he'd stay. I mean, that is it's such a wonderfully nuanced performance uh, where he, he he plays the bumbling Professor Yana um, so beautifully. And, and the switch, when he begins to realise, the moment that he turns into the master, it's all in the eyes. It's oh, it's absolutely wonderful to behold it's an it's an acting masterclass uh and it, it kind of yes. uh it, it's let down by the rest of the the episode i think uh, which uh, which is kind of run of the mill mm, the young child yeah yeah it, there's lots and lots of uh, standard rtd tropes in this uh, and this is one of the ones that I've, I've watched recently in order to um to prepare for this and um and yeah, it, it was a bit of a slog if it wasn't for for Jacoby and, and that wonderful performance. Uh, I mean, it, it's a brilliant setup for the for the closing uh, two parter for the finale for the series. Uh, but yeah, it's 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 lots of standard RTT, RTD tropes, which by this point, uh, you know, on tran- on original transmission. I'm beginning to get sort of uh, bored with, I, I think. Uh, oh, I, I didn't get that with Utopia. I certainly got it with the uh, the latter half of The Sound of Drums and Last of the Time Lords, the less mm. said about the better. But uh, but U- mm. Utopia oh, I liked Lord. not only for Jacoby, but also John Barrowman. I loved Jack's return. Bear in mind, at this point, Doctor Who is, was very intermingled with the storylines of Torchwood Series 1 and 2. And I really enjoyed Torchwood series one and two. I was the only person who did. Um, but it, <laughs> it was fascinating to see how Jack was going to make that um, jump. Because if you follow Jack's storyline, it's the culmination of season one of Torchwood leading straight into Utopia. And uh, it's it's the, the conversation between 
um, the Tenth Doctor and Jack, because bear in mind this is the first time the Tenth Doctor has met Captain Jack. Uh, it, it just works. It just worked for me brilliantly, and I, I love the way Russell T Davis wrote Utopia. It remains for me one of my favourite RTD scripts. Uh, but like you say, Lisa, and the, the the remainder of that story, because this is part one of three, really, just was laden mm. with, with with RTD isms all over the place, and all of the bad ones as well. And the only time mm. it was ever you know, beaten in terms of how bad a script um, actually was translated to screen uh, was was the end of time for me, um, where Russell T Davies, I think, had just stopped caring (laughs) completely and decided to write for himself alone. Absolutely. The whole idea that that, that the Master had to become young because the Doctor was young, it's just, oh, did it really? Did it really have to? No. It it didn't need to be done. And it it seemed like... uh, I don't know. John Sim didn't work as a matter for me from from uh, right from that first scene. Uh, and I mm. suppose it's a bit like the hangover I got from um, from Eccleston turning into into Tennant. It was like I I just fallen in love <laughs> in, the, in the in the brief two or three minutes that Jacoby was playing the uh, was playing the master on screen. Of course, he did play him in uh, in Scream of the Shalker. Was he Scream of the Shalker? He did do something in audio form. Um, yes, I think it was. I, ju- yeah. I just, I, yeah, I, ju- I just thought, and that was a nice bit of continuity in itself for the fans. Um, but I, I just thought, oh, I want more. I want more. There's no way they would have got Derek Jacoby to 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 be a recurring. But uh, I, I don't. I just don't think the master had to become young just because the doctor was young. Uh, I disagree. Whether you, whether you like it or not, the master had to be young. Nah. We'd already had a doctor who was young, virile, energetic. Nah. There would be no way a modern audience would accept. And 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 older, what do you call it? William Hartnell type master. Oh no, he doesn't have to be ancient uh, in, and crumbling. In, in the guise of Derek Jacobi, I mean, you had to have someone that was a contemporary of the David Tennant Doctor, and that comes down to the age. That wasn't Leeson's complaint. I mean, his complaint really was the fact that the the, the rationale given by Russell T. Davis in the writing, well, why not? You know, the, the Doctor can become young again. Why mm. can't I? You know, that is really yeah. rubbish writing. And it's the kind of writing that Russell T. Mm. Davis was actually quite proud of because he goes, oh, I can get round that within one line. I mean, yes, you can, but you can't get round it well. Um, I, I do actually agree yes. with Trevor's um, view that we needed a young master. I just just think we could have we could have transitioned from you know the absolutely delightful delicious performance that Jacoby gave us into the younger master I don't think John Sim is a particularly bad actor either I just think that Russell T Davies mm. genuinely had no idea how to characterize the master and he's gone on record to say that as well and as a result how on earth did John Sim know what to do he just decided to mm act completely mad mm. Mm. i think we certainly could have had some more uh, dramatic beats with jacoby as the master yeah. but um john sims was the master that the show had to have he really was wait what in terms of age or performance do you mean um well performance certainly gets a bit diluted later on when we start talking about the latter master interpretations where we get the uh, bouncing master but certainly we had to have a master um, at the end of the second series of David Tennant, which mirrored what the Tenth Doctor was like, that he was a very energetic, charismatic yeah. person. Yeah, yeah. You, you had to have someone that was that. what they tried to strive for during the Pertwee era, that the Pertwee Doctor was the mirror of the Delgado Master. And that's what I think they were trying to strive for with 
tenant slash sim. It's the insanity of the character that that that's, uh, that so sort of I feel is laid on a bit too thick. You know, the, the master is obviously obviously insane because of the things that he does, but it, it's laid on far too thick with the, with the Johnson master. It's you know it's all spelt out for us you know, that he he's insane. I mean, of course he's insane. He's always trying to take over the universe and destroy things. It, it, it doesn't need to be spelled out uh, by by being all zany and crazy. And uh, it's, yeah. it, like I say, it's laying it on too thick. I mean, how how much do you think John Sims' master was almost doomed um, when you consider the scripts that he appeared in? I mean, you, you look at The Last of the Time Lords um, and you look at The End of Time as well. You've got two two scripts there that simply you can pull apart. There's just there's stuff going on that you, you don't understand. There's no reason for it. And as a result, you've got um, a, a crazy master in the first story you know, a dying master in the second one who can suddenly jump over buildings for no apparent reason. And poor mm. David Tennant sitting there just watching him take off like a rocket, you know, with a serious face on. Because <laughs> how the hell do you act against such ludicrous writing? You know, and I think, sadly, the one character and actor who was served the worst by Russell T. Davis' attitudes to finales was John Sim and the Master. Had Moffat mm. had a crack, it might have been a different, uh, <laughs> might have been a different story. I mean, it would have been a different story. Well, when Moffat does have a crack at the Master, uh, it, it will be fabulous, I'm sure. Well, we've been dancing around it, uh, you know, for the last twenty or thirty minutes. But there's there's no denying that uh, the final episode of series three, Last of the Time Lords, is an episode that uh, I suppose causes some division amongst fans. You know, some that say it's the most incredible bit of Doctor Who ever, and some that say that it's, uh, you know, shouldn't have ever been written. One could almost talk about the evolution of the David Tennant character in this story, and and that's exemplified at the end by the Dobby Doctor or the little doctor in the cage who then transmogrifies into this avenging angel that you know basically saves the day i was just yeah. wondering i was just wondering what you guys thought about this 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 whole evolution of the doctor's character because it seems like because it seems like a, a significant addition to his uh, persona well this this was another fist in mouth moment for me um you could almost see it coming but this is the moment certainly where uh, where he he <laughs> He turns from being the the, uh, the little uh, budgie in the cage, the Dobby Doctor, uh, into uh, this floating angel, uh, as the point where where the Doctor is is almost deified, isn't he? And as he's floating yes. like Jesus across the room to to bless mm. the Master, and I just thought, what have they done? Let's wind it back slightly a little bit to um, Martha Jones during this episode. She spends most of the episode wandering around the globe. Um, exemplifying this amazing character called the Doctor. Mm. It's almost like they're trying to set up the idea that the the Doctor is God. Yes. And I'm wondering whether they're even trying to even hark back further to the no second chances Doctor. Because that seems like a very um, avenging angel type of feel, which we got in Last of the Time Lords. Oof. Yeah, I mean, I, I certainly agree that the Doctor is Jesus-like. and There's no question that... That, that's a rather prominent image 
that the audience is left with. And I remember speaking to Colin Teague, who directed that uh, Gadafrey a couple of years ago, and he was on the phone to Russell T Davies several times to say, well, how how exactly does he suddenly become glowing and return to you know youth? And uh, and all the rest of it. And apparently, you know, he didn't get that much assistance. So Colin Teague just directed what was written on the page. And as a result, you do get this deity like Doctor. Um, Of course, there's a slight difference at the end. You know, no second chances. You know, he's given the Master countless second chances. And at the end, you see him cradling him, saying, look, you know, it will be okay, etc. Which, again, I mean, Leeson talks about fist-in-mouth moments. That was for me as well. I just thought, no, this isn't right. It's just, it just doesn't Mm. feel right. I didn't invest in the Master. I can't see why the Doctor would suddenly, unless he became God and forgave all sinners why why would he suddenly throw out his sense of moral justice it just doesn't seem right so everything about Mm. that scene for me doesn't work what is russell t davies trying to say about the david Tennant doctor because surely he had an idea in his head about what was being portrayed when we see the doctor reborn or transmogrified in, in, in into this glowing angelic type figure what is the Tenth Doctor trying to be in Last of the Time Lords? I, I don't have an answer, and I, I'm not entirely certain Russell T. Davis did. Yeah. Yes, exactly. I, I, that's exactly what I, what I think. I think, um, I mean, given what we know, uh, uh, what came afterwards, um, we, we can sort of retcon it and say, oh, okay, um, this this is the this this is the pride before the fall. But I think at the time, I, I think. I think RTD has lots and lots of ideas of things he'd like to do, um, spectacular set pieces and spectacular uh, emotional things to do with a character. Um, And they perhaps work in their own way at the time for each scene or for each episode. But then when you try and string it all together, and as we're doing now, as you you try and put some kind of um, coherent sense to it all, that this is where it all falls down. This is where it struggles. And when you say, Trevor, where where do you think the character's going? What do you think uh, RTD was doing? I am with James. I think I think he doesn't know, and I think the more you try and pick it apart, the the more that becomes evident that it that it's just a series of set set pieces which you have to 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 retcon into some kind of sense. I I, I think it's interesting given that you can look at any one episode in season three, and you can clearly see what. The buzzword is, you know, Russell T. Davis used to set um, a kind of atmosphere at each of the tone meetings by using the words like epic, warlike or whatever. Goodness knows what that particular word was for for Last of the Time Lords. But uh, I I think season three is, is a complete hodgepodge. You've got some episodes there that I think, like Human Nature, Family of Blood, Blink, possibly Utopia, that beat anything in season two and season one. But you've got some absolute Mm. dross that we have not seen in Doctor Who at this point yet, like Last of the Time Lords. And at the time, I hated Gridlock. I've reassessed that a little bit now, but I absolutely hated Gridlock on transmission. Uh, I thought it was terrible. Um, so for me, season three is is, is a weird season, um, and I I haven't visited many of the episodes that I didn't like since. I think I've still only seen Daleks in Manhattan and Evolution of the Daleks once. I don't think I've seen forty two more than one occasion either. You know, whereas Blink, 
I've lost track of <laughs> the amount of times I've seen that. And, and I certainly can't bring myself to re-watch the finale. Let's, let's round this episode off. Let me just ask the pair of you. Um, at this point, this was what? Um, 2000 and, 2007. We gradually got used to Doctor Who being back on our screens. Where would you place season three? Was it the best, uh, the worst, or in between for you? The, the worst. Except for its, its gems, as you say. Um as a whole, as a, as a whole cohesive piece, um, there was enough in there for me to start thinking, all right, I, um, there, there's bits of this that are wearing thin now. Uh, and and I was ready for a change. I was thinking, uh, I'd like to see a new Doctor. Uh, I'd like to see a new production team. Uh, I, and and I stopped looking forward to to series and episodes as much as I had done. Or, or I, would, I would still get excited. But then uh, I would, this is the start of, of where episodes would disappoint me more regularly hmm. yeah I, I think I'm with you Lisa I think while 2007 had some fantastic stories in it um, human nature a family of blood I think is you know one of the pinnacles of the Tenet era and certainly one of my favorite episodes of Doctor Who in general um, I was craving after a different dynamic in the TARDIS and that's something I think we got next year when um, you know Donna mm. joined the TARDIS crew and and, and Martha finally uh, wave goodbye but uh, i think that's certainly a a discussion for another episode Mm. of the doctor podcast which we will uh, talk about next week where at least james and i will be here in the camper van uh waxing lyrical about uh, series four and the uh, specials that uh we got at at the end of the david Tennant era so we look forward to uh talking to you then about you know the rest of the uh, Tennant era certainly in the uh televised format so until then goodbye James <laughs> goodbye Trevor bye Lason cheerio Trev bye everybody that was the Doctor Who podcast which you can find at the Doctor Who podcast.com if you have any feedback please send it into feedback at the Doctor Who podcast.com you can also find us on Twitter Facebook and via the Doctor Who podcast forums thank you for listening take care Yes, same here. Countdown of 10, 10 9, 9 8, 8, 8, 7, 7 6, 6, 5, 4, 3, 3 2, 2, 1, 1. Blast, off. blast off. We continue on with our look at the marvellous David Tennant Doctor in our second episode of... Ha! We continue on with our look at the David Tennant Doctor in our look at his marvellous era in our series of DW... Ah, what the f*** am I trying to say? The DWP continues with its look at the era of the 10th Doctor with our look at Series 3. Ah, what am I trying to say, guys?